0: Welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie Podcast, part of the Awareness to Action Podcast Network. I'm TJ Daw, and this season, my co-host Mario Sakura and I will be exploring the Enneagram through the lens of specific directors whose work demonstrates themes related to the nine Enneagram types and three instinctual biases. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show.
1: So here's what I want to ask you guys now. Subtypes. Preserving, navigating, and transmitting threes are very different people. I think that there's a subtype theme here in these characters. I'm curious, to your perspective, uh, any thoughts on subtypes of of the uh, Reese Witherspoon characters so far?
0: I would be surprised if L was anything other than a transmitter. Okay. No right. shame. Really dresses to be noticed and to mm-hmm. make an impact.
2: I agree with Elle. How about Tracy?
0: Uh, another quick thing about Elle is, you yeah. know, as we mentioned, she's very comfortable on camera making her application video wearing a bikini. And then, you know, when she's still new at Harvard and she's still trying to win Warner back, one of the things she does is lounges around by a, just a, a football game that a bunch of the students are playing in a bikini and attracting everybody's attention. It's very much yeah. a transmitter saying, watch me shine. Hey everybody, look at me, check out the goods.
2: Yeah, and, and in, in election, I don't see that comfort in showing off or in drawing attention. I think she wants to win. She understands the rules and, but I think that the problem here is that she's probably in real life like a preserving three. Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yes. When you see the cupcakes, and, and yeah. all these things, you know.
1: I <laughs> made 480 cupcakes yeah, uh, the night before the well, election, right? I, I, mother. I,
2: yeah. I just, and she wasn't, she didn't navigate kind of the landscape. She didn't, she would understand how to win, but not understand how she was coming across. So to me, and she was a more kind of stiff and rigid yeah. and withdrawn a, a bit when it wasn't about winning. It was more kind of like the workaholic preserving three to me.
1: So it's interesting. Uh, well, well thought out responses. I don't I, agree. <laughs> I don't agree. Um, just, it, that, that's cute guys. You were, you, that was cute. Uh, the way you did that. No, I'm kidding. No. So clearly not a, uh, a definitive portrayal as far as subtypes are concerned, but I think the themes of both of these movies so far are about identity. And, hierarchy and position in society, right? So these both actually, and I hear what you're saying about Elle Woods, right? I mean, clearly somebody who stands at I know, I, I know, but how much did she talk about herself, right? Not that much, really, right? I mean, Elle was, you know, about helping other people and, you know, there was not that kind of turn it back to me sort of conversation that you often see in a transmitting three in my experience. So, I I think there were a lot of navigating themes in here, but also with the understanding that just because somebody's navigating doesn't mean they're good at it, right? And clearly, Tracy was not a skillful navigator. I mean, she her. Uh, interpersonal skills were really, really weak. But for her, it was all about position and identity and role and all these other sort of things that I generally associate with more of the navigating version of the three. Uh, neither of these characters were particularly sexual either. With the transmitting, particularly with the transmitting three, there's often that that undercurrent, that, like Raquel Welch the tr- is a transmitting three, right? Well, I think
2: that, uh, that to me, mm-hmm. that's the problem. I yeah. think that she is not sexy as a person. Yeah. Yes. But if she were a sexy person playing that role, the way in which it's designed, it would have been very transmitting.
1: So, uh, interesting thought. And again, this this is why, you know, the you know, first of all, the subtypes are difficult, right? I mean, uh, and movie portrayals are often not pitch perfect when it comes to Enneagram types, right? So we see multiple things. I see what you're saying, Rio Jose, about some of that preserving, that sort of workaholism, right? And it was workaholism in terms of identity and, you know, filling the role, right? With so
2: the, With election, I I,
1: yeah.
2: I agree yeah. that it could be. With yeah. Legally Blonde, I have a harder time buying it. Yeah.
1: yeah, I hear you. I, I, I hear you. Um, uh, But again, uh, food for thought, okay? Just as we think about these things, we have to weigh different uh, factors, right? There's the threeness there that comes across as showing off, right? Even in the threes who are not transmitting uh, very often. So, you know, my thought on Elle Wood was that she was a fashion major, right? And so being the ideal sort of fashion major was all about you know, these sort of, you know, rich person, Beverly Hills kind of clothes that she donned throughout it. Um, so anyway, all right, great. So we're going to move on to movie number three, which for me was the best of a lot. As much as I loved Election, the next movie we're going to talk about for me is just a really, really, really good movie. And it's something else from our friend David Fincher. It's the movie Gone Girl which Reese Witherspoon is not in, but she was the producer of. TJ, tell us about Gone Girl.
0: So Gone Girl came out in 2014. It was directed by David Fincher, as you mentioned. It was based on the novel by Gillian Flynn, who also wrote the screenplay. It was a best-selling novel, which Reese Witherspoon read before it was published and saw its potential and bought the rights. And the movie came out about a year after the book was published, and the book was a huge bestseller. So in the story, Nick Dunn, played by Ben Affleck, lives in a college town in Missouri, and he's called back to his house where he finds some of his furniture broken and no sign of his wife, Amy, played by Rosamund Pike. He calls the police and they investigate it as a missing persons case. And as the case unfolds, we see flashbacks of Nick and Amy's relationship going back to their first meeting told through Amy's diary. Amy's parents are authors of a series of very successful kids' books with a character based on Amy called Amy. Amy. So the series has a lot of rabid fans, and revenue from this has given Amy a trust fund and a New York City brownstone and an enduring fame. And she and Nick have both have successful careers as journalists, both of which end due to the financial collapse of 2008. So they soon move back to Missouri, where Nick is from, to be with his mother as she battles cancer and soon dies. Nick opens a bar with his twin sister Margot, played by Carrie Coon, and he teaches creative writing at a local college and has an affair with one of his students. Amy's disappearance, in part thanks to her being somewhat famous, becomes a media sensation with nonstop press coverage and many people volunteering to help find her. And soon it starts to look like Nick might have been involved in her disappearance, and he's villainized by the press. About halfway into the movie, we jump to Amy's point of view and discover that her diary, which told their story as a couple... Was a work of fiction, blending both fact and fiction, but it was all meticulously done by her to frame Nick for her murder and eventually for her to take her own life, ensuring that when her body is discovered, he will be convicted and executed because Missouri is a state that still has the death penalty. She soon, uh, because of a couple of missteps, loses the money that she'd saved up and reaches out to Desi Collins, played by Neil Patrick Harris, TV's Doogie Hauser. Uh, He's an ex of hers who's wealthy and had never gotten over her. So he puts her up in a luxurious lake house and she frames to make him look like a stalker and rapist and kills him and drives back to her house and dramatically falls into Nick's arms while she's still covered in his blood in front of the media. Nick tries to tell the truth to the lead detective who does believe him but can't reopen the case. And Nick and Amy then have to keep up the facade of being reconciled as the press and the public have a vested interest in this perfect, beautiful famous couple. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant, yeah. Perfect ending to the perfect couple story.
1: Yeah. Very different version of Enneagram Type 3 in this movie, right? This is about as low in the levels of health or, uh, you know, levels of psychological stability as one will find. This is a character who is just completely soulless, right, for for lack of a better word.
2: So when I first suggested we used uh, Reese Witherspoon. I had not watched this movie. Uh And I was really puzzled at the beginning when I started watching it, because I couldn't understand why on earth she would want to portray women like this. You know? Like, bad. The bad person. Now, they're bad people (laughs) of any gender, I think. And I realized that Her goal, Reese's goal, was not to just show good, strong women. It was uh, like just heroes. It was good roles
1: and good roles for women, right? Good acting parts for women.
2: Bold, skillful, and all of that. And this uh, is that. I think that it's a very smart, bold, I don't know. I don't want to say kind of adjectives that seem to be kind of positive right but but she's smart you
1: know she's very very smart she's very capable and again uh, i'd seen this movie before i'd probably seen it a couple of times before we were preparing for this podcast in preparation i watched it twice and um, the second time was actually earlier today and the thing i really that really struck me today was how many themes are in this movie right how many Different ways of looking at society are in this movie, right? What does it mean to be successful? Okay. Who are you if you're not successful? What is the role of media in our lives? Because she goes, you know, she becomes this media darling. Now, like you pointed, like TJ pointed out, she was her parents based a children's book character on her and as she said uh, w- when ben affleck said oh they stole your childhood she said, she said no they didn't steal it they improved upon it right and so there's this idea of this idealization of people of people not being good enough but they need to be improved upon there's the theme of the vulnerability of women right and this is something that i think peaks up throughout these movies we're going to see it here and certainly in wild when we talk about wild how vulnerable women are to men in society right and how terrifying that must be i mean obviously not something i can relate to but you know i think that's on display here and we'll see it more in 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 wild also about the power of narrative and perspective because this movie is all about narratives. It's almost Rashomon-like in its telling of a story from different angles, right? There's Nick's version of it. I mean, when you hear Nick's version of it, she's this awful person who, you know, almost deserved you know, whatever came to her. And she is an awful person. But when you hear her perspective about Nick... You can almost see why she did what she did, right? Because she says, you know, you, you stole my identity. You know, you dragged me out here. I was living this great life. You promised to be this thing that I wanted, and you turned out to be this loser who dragged me down with you to the middle of nowhere, penniless and without an identity, which is the gravest of sins. And she was going to make him pay for this. Go yeah, ahead, she,
2: she said, when she said that she, he had to pay because she was dead and because she took, he took, Nick took my pride, my dignity, my hope, and my yes. money. Yes. I mean, she's virtually dead. Yes. According to what's important to her. Now, what what I would disagree with, or it's hard to um, make a stance on, on this, is that, look, I'm saying this as a woman here, but... If I were Nick, I would be just too afraid to live with a woman like that.
1: <laughs>
2: and just I, I well, he locks I, the
1: door at night for good reason. I know, yeah.
2: but I have, just don't understand why he decides to stay. If it's just only the baby. That's the only thing I understand. But but if it's not that, I just don't get it. But with her, we don't know if that's the truth. We don't know if he really threatened her or not. And I'm compelled to believe that he didn't, right? You know, it's just how he, she framed him, what yeah. she wrote in the diary. So at the end of the day, you just—I don't know who is she—and uh, right. and, and that's the theme of the three: who is behind this yeah. person that we think we're seeing?
1: Yes, the unhealthy theme of the three. We'll say just yes, just to be clear. Course. Yes, of course. Yes. Of course. Of course. Yeah, so uh, TJ, any thoughts on why he stayed?
0: Why did he stay? Well, I thought what they established was that he's kind of been outmaneuvered. Yeah. That so much of his life depends on people's perception of him, and up to a very certain point, it had looked like he was going to be convicted for her murder and that there was nothing that he could do about it. And that he realized that I'm in a match with a chess master, and he's smart enough to realize he's not as smart as her. And that if what do you I think pr- his Enneagram type was, my guess for him is six. Six? Maria Jose? Well,
2: I haven't thought about it.
1: He's a nine. He's, uh, He's a nine. Well, nine. he could be yeah. <laughs> He's a nine. I think
2: my only other option is a two, but I think that yeah. it's when he says that he was taught to be nice, yeah. he had to be nice to people. Yeah, Yeah.
1: he was, you know, he was, he was very charming. See, I think he was a Navigating Nine, right? Charming. But talk about somebody who was going with the flow of things, right? I mean, he was just being, you know, kind of dragged along by life. And I think for him, you know, I I think that he was probably too afraid to leave her, you know, at the end of the movie. I think that was certainly part of it. I agree with uh, TJ. But I also think there was just this inertia right, at play there, you know, that is, you know, kind of a part of the nine psyche in some ways. Uh, so I... It
2: was so yeah. disappointing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so there was, a, first of all, you know, a lot of great stuff in this movie. I mean, she yeah. was a master at crafting a story, right? She was a master at crafting an identity. She led him... Along. she, You know, her, her, her diary, like TJ said, was just, it was just a prop, right? I mean, it was, you know, uh, a blend of, you know, fact and fiction.
2: Yeah, and, and when they kind of go back to her previous relationships, she had adjusted and adapted to every yes. single yes. partner she had. Yes. And she was whatever they were, whatever would work with, yes. them, with each of them. Yes, And that's very thrish. I mean, it's all to the extreme.
1: Yes. And it was, you know, she gives that whole voiceover about, you know, I will be the cool chick, right? I will be what he wants. I will fit this. I will, you know, and she's talking basically about how she degraded herself to be the ideal woman from you know, his perspective, and she said, I would even drink beer out of a can and watch Adam Sandler movies and eat cold pizza, you know, uh, to, to make him happy. And, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> what Enneagram type does that sound like the ideal night for, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <right. laughs>
2: so, so the book was called The Amazing Amy, which yes. is kind of how the stereotype, again, of the three, you want yes. to be... Scene, and then it was the life she didn't have, as she said. Yes, mm-hmm. on the contrary, she was jealous of the golden child, mm-hmm. and she was a fraud, regular flawed that's how she saw herself. Yes, but she wanted to show people that she was this amazing Amy. Yeah, very sad,
1: uh, very, very, very sad, very <laughs> troubling. Um, the Desi character, uh, again, played by Neil Patrick Harris, another three-ish character, right? There's that scene where he comes to her rescue and, you know, wants to remake her, right? You know, he gives her the, you know, the the bag with the hair dye and the makeup and, you know, all this stuff, right? And said to her, uh, I'm looking forward to my reunion with Amy Elliott, right? So even he had this vision of who Amy was, that was not the reality who he went and picked up in the casino, but had to get back to being the, you know, the dyed hair, cleaned up version of Amy Elliott. That's who he was looking forward to seeing again. And he paid the price for that, for sure, in a pretty horrifying scene. I'm trying to think of what else I have in my the notes. Parents, here.
2: The parents. Yes. They the were parents. they represented three threeness as well. It's doing what they did with their child with the book. Then they were broke, but they pretended to be wealthy. Yeah. then when she was this, when she was gone, it was all about they had the number, the website like they went into action and knew what they had to do and put the right face and it was just amazing. it was all
1: a production. Right, it yeah. was it was it was all a show in in a sense. So much of what happened in this movie was all about a show. Even the the talk show host. There was the one blonde newscaster based on uh, Nancy Grace. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she's famous for taking on the uh, cases of women who were done wrong to and attacking the men, you know, who who did injustices toward them. And uh, even the Sale Award character that he goes on the interview of, and and during that interview, he's putting on a show, and he's putting on a show directly for her, knowing what she wants to hear, and you can see her sitting there watching on TV with Desi, and she's just mesmerized, you know, and she's thinking, that's the guy I married, that's the guy I fell in love with, that's the guy I want, after she just tried to get him put on death row, right, so a fascinating character.
2: Yeah, even the the attorney, Tanner Bolt.
1: Oh, great character, go ahead. and
2: and He knows how to do things so that it works so that he can come out with a positive outcome here what to say what not to say how to dress everything
1: yes uh, absolutely and he even gave the whole situation a name the miracle on the mississippi right he gave it he gave it a headline right to 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 frame it that sort of thing so that character was played by um oh tyler perry thank you tyler perry Clearly a three, I would guess a three in real life. I mean, Tyler Perry has created an entertainment empire, a very, very successful director and producer and writer and actor and all that stuff. And I thought he was wonderful in this. I thought it was a a really great performance of what I found to be an engaging and likable three.
2: Just the most likable three. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What about Margot? Yeah, Margot...
1: um, his sister, right? So that was um, uh, Ben Affleck's sister. I, I don't know. Thoughts on her enneagram type?
0: Possibly a six. I mean, she's loyal yeah. to him, and she's also reactive. Yeah. Like when when all of his misbehavior comes to light, she doesn't yeah. hold back. She flips out on him yeah. and still stands yeah. by him. Yes. Yeah sure. that
1: that would have been my that would have been my guess uh, too. Uh, not a not a you know fully well developed uh, character, but I, I would go with. A six. All right, great. TJ, what else about this movie we haven't talked about yet?
0: Again, very much like Election, we see just briefly a theme of the loneliness of threes. Amy doesn't have any friends in this small town. Yeah. And when she's <laughs> letting us in on a plan, and just, she refers <laughs> right. to, yeah, befriend a local idiot. Who's a <laughs> yeah. you know, pregnant woman that lives five doors down. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she doesn't have a circle of friends. She doesn't seem to have friends that she can call or email or or Skype or Zoom with, like she, there's no real warmth to her. Uh, yeah. Rosmond Pike said she based her performance on Nicole Kidman's portrayal of the lead in To Die For and Sharon yeah, Stone in yeah. Basic Instinct. So in both yeah, cases, threes. threes playing threes. And yeah. I've known appropriately enough three different women who are threes who have at various times in their lives been nicknamed the Ice Queen. And I think that is a nickname that Amy possibly could have received in this movie of like that kind of cold three. And it just shows you how reactive people can be to ambition and success in a woman. I think overall the movie has a huge theme of the emptiness of the American dream. Because in theory, you know, Nick and Amy are the perfect couple. They're good looking, they're successful, they're happy, they do fun treasure hunts on their anniversaries, they're famous, sort of. And it shows how precarious that is. They lose their jobs, they lose their financial stability, they move from Manhattan to Missouri, And not even a big city in Missouri, like a small city, like a college town. He cheats on her with a student. She sits at home spinning her wheels. You know, like they just don't seem to have that great of a life behind the surface. There's the emptiness of fame as well. She's got this kind of peripheral fame from being the subject of a series of kids' books, but does that bring her any joy? And then there's the emptiness of wealth. You know, not only does the wealth that she gets from her parents, having successfully authored these books, just vanish because supposedly they're up to their ears in debt and they need the money from her trust fund back. Uh, There's Desi. So Desi is very rich. He lives in a mansion in the lakeside house where he puts her up is gorgeous. And he's alone and doesn't seem to have any love in his life. The house itself is beautiful, but it's also very cold. There's no warmth. There's no, yeah, there's no personal touches to the place. He doesn't seem to have any kind of a life He doesn't seem particularly smart or charming or appealing in any way whatsoever. He's just this empty vessel of success.
1: I think of it as kind of a a passively obnoxious person, right, who just, you you know, just not going out of their way to be obnoxious, but just everything they say makes you just want to go, ew, yuck. Right, Uh, that's that's how Desi struck me. It's just like, I just don't want to be around this guy. So
2: Amy didn't either. I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, she made that point clear. Uh, If you have not seen the movie, uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, she kills him in a very uh, graphic way. So uh, let's see. There are a couple other things. Uh, So, so one more.
2: the, the, her ability to fake her ac- accent when she was running away, when she was hiding, uh, it's also something that it's overly adaptive. And I've seen quite a few threes doing that, being able to adapt so much to the environment that they take the accent very quickly.
1: Yeah, the the work that she put into framing him was epic right i mean boy oh boy did she i mean just the you have to sit and admire and even the the attorney the the tanner character was like oh man you got to respect this woman (laughs) right for for the audacity of what she did Uh, there was another thing that struck me we haven't touched on yet there's that scene where she goes off you know she fakes her death she runs off ends up in the this middle of nowhere motel where she befriends this other woman who's you know, kind of a trailer park sort of version, who you could tell has her own backstory, and she's hooked up with the I don't know, the maintenance worker or something at the hotel. They find out that she has money and they rob her at the end. And that scene struck me upon watching it again, because it showed me that as scary and evil as uh, Amy is, she's playing at it, right? And these two are really scary, right? These and And they even say to her, you know, be careful because there's people a whole lot worse than us out there. So it's almost like she's dabbling in the criminal scary person lifestyle and meets her match with these other people and realizes, you know, I'm in over my head out here. Which, again, I, I thought was interesting because it pointed to that, even at being evil, she was kind of a fraud,
2: in a way. Yeah, and naive and naive as yeah, well, naive, yeah. thinking that she would be able to fool them, yes. and she didn't. They could see through her Yeah. that she was not going to call the police, that she was running away, that she was hiding something.
0: That she had never been hit, the wound calls her on that. Yes. You know, that she had faked the bruise that, you know, she inflicted on herself. But, like, she didn't really know hardship the way that they had. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I think one thing is I just love the ending, which is that this couple gets to be together forever and be miserable. It's such a a logical conclusion of the sour and empty American dream. Yes. You get to have your house back. You get to have your life back. You're still good looking now. you have to have a kid. You yeah. got a book deal. You're famous even more than before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a reality
2: need, TV show. Yeah.
0: And you will yeah. never know genuine warmth and love and happiness and friendship.
2: Yeah. And it's like you're trapped. You know, they're trapped in this house, they're trapped in their life. Uh, trapped in their, their image. Tra- yep. Yeah. Are you
1: interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? go to awareness and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. All right, excellent. So we have one more movie. So this is a movie produced by Reese Witherspoon, but also starring her. And uh, this is the first time I'd seen this movie. I I did not see it in the theater prior to that. It's the movie Wild. Again, uh, Reese Witherspoon read the book uh, when she decided she wanted to find some um, good roles. The screenplay by Nick Hornby. Now, TJ, I I don't know why, but I'm guessing you're a big, big Nick Hornby.
0: I, would, I wouldn't say true. big, but I've got a few of his novels. Yeah, I like them. Okay. But he's All prolific. Right. I haven't kept up with a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He
1: wrote the book, a, a movie that I really like. What was the one with John Cusack in the record store?
0: Um, High Fidelity.
1: High Fidelity. Yes. A movie. Yeah, that was his a big lot, break. I've
0: never read anything. Also, she read the book of Wilde when it was also in galleys. And Cheryl Strayed sent it to her saying, I would like you to play me in the movie of this. Oh, interesting. Okay, so The Plot of Wild is about
1: a uh, young woman, Cheryl Strayed, again based on her uh, memoir about um, her life and her journey hiking a 1,000 miles, what was it, 1,100 1, miles on the Pacific Crest Trail, kind of as an act of cleansing or redemption, I think, or trying to make up for uh, which she felt were her sins. So in June 1995, despite a lack of hiking experience, recent divorcee Cheryl Strayed leaves Minneapolis, Minnesota to hike 1,100 miles of the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail. Maria Jose, for someone who uses kilometers rather than miles, uh, that's a really long way.
2: Okay. So, I, I can make <laughs> well, I, I, can kind of, I understand what you're talking about. When you're talking about temperature, then that's temperature.
1: Different. Well, temperature stuff. Yeah. Temperature stuff. I don't a do Fahrenheit,
2: but I do <laughs> miles.
1: Okay, great. All right. So during the hike, uh, she reflects in flashbacks on her childhood in Minnesota and memories of her mother, Bobby Gray. Bobby's death from cancer sent Cheryl into deep depression that she tried to numb with heroin and anonymous sex, eventually destroying her marriage to her husband Paul. After finding she was pregnant, she got an abortion and resolved to hike the trail to redeem herself. Starts the trek in the Mojave Desert in Southern California with her backpack in which she is carrying almost everything uh, that she doesn't need, it seems. Really overloaded with the the backpack. Uh, Has brought the wrong type of gas for her stove and is therefore unable to cook food. After a few days, she meets Frank, a farmer and construction worker who takes her in for the night and with his wife, offers her a Home cooked meal in a warm shower. She meets another hiker named Greg, who agrees to meet at the Kennedy Meadows, California. Upon arrival, a camper named Ed helps her strategically lighten her overweight backpack and replace her undersized hiking boots with a new pair to be delivered uh, at a future stop on the trail. She continues to hike into the Sierra Nevada Mountains, despite his warnings of deep snowfall. Removing a boot to remove a loose toenail which is how the movie starts in a very unpleasant and attention-getting way of uh, pulling off a toenail. Uh, The boot accidentally falls down an extremely deep slope forcing her to continue wearing sandals reinforced with duct tapes. Her friend Amy sends her provisions along the way congratulating on her progress. She also receives letters from Paul. On morning of day 58 she's out of water and desperately licks the dew off the tent dehydrated near exhaustion she siphons water from a muddy puddle while she waits for uh, water to disinfect two hunters approach one making suggestive remarks that leave strayed feeling threatened and vulnerable please causes her leave and run away mm-hmm. she leaves california arriving in ashland oregon where she meets jonathan a hunky mm-hmm. guy who is uh, at a tribute to jerry garcia who had just died mm. let's see she ends up sleeping with him and then goes encounters a friendly group of young hikers uh, along the way on a rainy day she finds a llama that escaped from a young boy hiking with his grandmother she chats with the boy who asks her about her parents uh she mentions her mother's death the boy sings red river valley to her uh, saying that it's a song his mother used to sing to him which makes her break down in tears After 94 days, she reaches the Bridge of the Gods on the Columbus River between Oregon and Washington, ending her journey, various points along the trail, including at the end of the bridge, she encounters a red fox, which she interprets as the spirit of her mother watching over her. She reflects that four years in the future, she will remarry at a spot in view of the bridge. Five years later, have a son and one year after that, a daughter named Bobby after her mother. I like this movie. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was Reese Witherspoon's best performance that certainly in these movies, and I think in anything that I've seen her in, I think it was her best performance. I thought it was an interesting depiction of a three. I do think this was a three-ish character, and again, it's not what we associate with the three, because she had a pretty screwed up life, right? I mean, she was a drug addict. She was kind of a, a, a loser. She was, you know, trying to make her sorrow go away through having sex with, you know, random men. She ruined her marriage by repeatedly cheating on her husband. The mother character was interesting because we've talked about parental expectations on threes and her it was almost reversed here where she was disappointed with her mother and her mother's lack of accomplishment and her mother's lack of sophistication, but her mother was just this cheerful heartwarming, you know, lovely person who wanted the best for everybody and just wanted to kind of enjoy life. Kind of a seven ish character. I thought in, in some ways, and even, you know, kept a, a good face on when she was dying of cancer. So a real good movie. I thought, go ahead guys. Tell me what was three ish about this movie
2: to me. I'm just glad that I watched this movie last, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. because there was this progression and, Although they're very three-ish things, uh, the typical three things, to me, this movie was about value and purpose. What you were saying before about the core quality of the three. And she said something like, when did I become this piece of shit? You know, it's like, where's my value? And this was a journey to a cleansing journey, but to find her value uh, and her purpose, and 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 that was kind of she had this goal of doing this hike and the going through this trail without really knowing why, but it felt like the right thing to do at the at the time. And the true north, while she was on that, it was not to lose track. So it was kind of that kept her, but it was to find her value, and just on that theme. When she gets there, when she gets to that bridge, she hasn't found it completely, but she's okay with that you know so so she it's she's okay with not with not having got anywhere specific in her own life, but it's this kind of process of becoming that she started, and she was finding some more things that were real and finding herself. And that would continue. I think that, to me, that was the beauty. The main thing about the movie is how she was finding her value in this trail.
1: This, to me, was a classic hero's journey story, right? And the the message of the hero's journey in classical mythology and in every wisdom tradition is that the hero... uh, feels like I don't have my identity. I have to go on some quest to understand who I am. And they always end back at home. And the message is always, you know what, who I am has always been right here. Right. But I would have never realized that had I not go on the journey. So the irony of the hero's journey is, is that the answer is at the starting point. But if you don't go on this cycle, you never realize it. So Completely agree with what you said.
2: Even the last name, did you realize that she chose it? Yes. And And it was straight. Yeah, yeah, and the meaning, it's roaming without a purpose or direction. One of the meanings, actually. But um, so it's all about purpose. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's who she felt like. She was somebody who was just, you know, you could tell when there's the, 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 the flashbacks and she is in college with her mother at the same time, right? Her mother decided to go back to school. And th- there's that one point where she says to her mother, you know, I'm so much more sophisticated than you were at my age. And, y- you know, when that line first came out, I'm thinking, oh, wow. And the mother's response was wonderful because she said, and that's the point, right? That's... And that was the that, plan. That was the plan, and which was just so sweet and so supportive, but it was this character who was just wandering aimlessly without value, without purpose, and had to go back and find that.
0: Yeah. Well, just to build on what you were saying, Marie Jose, about her choosing her name. That's a very three-ish thing. Is I can I can make my identity. I can remake it. So she talked about this in the book, just what a surprise that was for her when she was getting divorced of like there's just a slot that you fill in on the forms of what your last name is going to be after your divorce, and you can write anything. And she sees this as like, oh, I can can remake who I am, and that's what she does. And the movie, in large part, is about that. I mean, she doesn't get divorced and then hit the trail right away. But it is about finding yourself through action. So it's a movie about, you know, how do you deal with overwhelming grief? How do you put your life back together when you're flailing and self-destructing? Because that's what she was doing. Her ambition had always been to be a writer and she wasn't writing. She was working a series of day jobs. As you said, she was engaging in anonymous sex and not just drug addiction, heroin addiction. Yeah. It's like her life was gonna do it, going do down it right. the tubes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So how do I pull myself together? I do this incredible thing. Now, Contrary to the stereotypical image of a three, and I'm not 100% convinced that she is a three. I think there's an argument to be made for her being a six. But in any case, hiking that trail doesn't have any inherent prestige to it. Not that many people knew or to this day know what it is. Uh, She didn't have sponsorship. There was nobody waiting for her at the end. There was no prize for doing it. She didn't, at least in the book or in the movie, didn't have any plans to write a memoir about it or to write anything about it. It was just something being done for its own sake. So you could see this as an example of healthy threeness in doing something that means something to me and brings me a sense of purpose and value that's not connected to getting the praise of others. Like it might be to participate in the New York City Marathon or something like that.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and this is you know, what we call the accelerator of the three. is all about purpose, right? I, finding some sense of purpose because what often ends up happening with threes is that they're driven to achieve, but they're not sure what it is they're trying to achieve, right? They're just kind of randomly going about accomplishing things without understanding how it all ties ties together. And for her. I think, you know, she, the purpose, at least for this movie, you know, this part of her life was kind of resetting in a way, right? I mean, this is what it struck me as. This is all about resetting. It's about stripping away the person I was and finding out what's left. Okay, and that's that's kind of the real me. Uh, we talk about disidentification as the practice of the four, right? The accelerator of the four, which is all about again stripping away identifications. Okay, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, and that which is left is is the authentic self in a way. Uh, so, go ahead, Maria. Is there you going to say something? Yeah,
2: yeah. That at some point she says I need to find something in myself, and the trail yeah. is good for that. You know, yeah. so it's these search for who I am and my value. It's like hiking to get my value back, you know, because at some point I lost myself.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I can't can't really establish that value. I can't really establish that identity until I shed all this messiness that has built up, right? All this, you know, uh, all these wounds, all these uh, experiences that uh, have dragged me down into the gutter.
2: Yeah. And with the mother, regardless of her type, yeah. there's some some of these as well, when she knows, when she learns that she's, she's going to die, she said, I was never me. You know, I was a mother, I was a wife, and I wasn't even in the driver's seat of my own life. Yeah. So it was kind of happening, and uh, there's, again, the value, and am I leaving my life? Which sounds very nine to me as well. The notion of just Mm -hmm. being kind of a
0: a passenger or a bystander in my own life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good case could have been made for a
0: night for the mother. Yeah, And yet still having a positive outlook. You know, like you can Mm -hmm. see a sliver of Lake Superior if you look out her hospital room window. And she says, I always wanted a room with a view. So
1: there were a couple of things I mentioned earlier, I think, before we started talking about Gone Girl. This theme of how dangerous the world is for women. And this was a great example of that, right? I mean, now, look, hiking a trail of 1,100 miles through the wilderness is going to be dangerous for anyone. But I think that there are particular dangers that, you know, obviously face women on something like this. I mean, when that scene where she met the farmer, right? I mean, that whole time, all you're thinking is, yeah, this isn't going to go well, right? And it ended up, you know, he ended up being a harmless guy, but you know you're on the edge of your seat that whole
2: time but you know what you don't have to be in that trail to experience that as a woman uh,
1: absolutely well, that's abso- life. absolutely right no i know that's day right. day,
2: yeah. day in day out life for women in general absolutely right
1: and and i think that there's that yes i didn't mean to imply that it was only on the trail in the middle of nowhere you're you're absolutely right and again i think there's an element of that in all of these movies perhaps not so much in legally blonde doesn't come through but even in election you know there's this young woman who is preyed upon by an older male teacher right you know gone girl there's this you know, the, the inappropriateness of his affair with his student and, you know, and her, you know, when she was faking her death and being off in this, you know, hotel, the whole time you're thinking, you know, something bad's going to happen to her you know, you could, you could feel it happening. So, so, so that was a theme that I think you know, uh, deserves to be noted. Uh, and again, certainly when she encountered those two hunters, right, you're thinking, yeah, yeah man, this is just, you know, Nothing good can come of this. And uh, fortunately, she was okay, but it was a very precarious sort of thing.
2: There's one thing that her mother, I think, tells her, but I might, may be wrong. I know that somebody said it, but it says, if there's one thing I could teach you is how to find your best self, then hold on to it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So finding your best self, and it's also some three thing. It's like, be my best Ver- the best per- version of myself.
1: I'm also going to say that in this movie, the Reese Witherspoon character mm. was most appealing, right? And, and and I mean, how do I want to say that? I, I just think that she was the most likable, relatable character in this. She was the most real Okay. Uh now a lot of her behavior is not you know again it was, you know it was certainly problematic and it was all self-punishing and whatnot but I thought there were scenes of her where she was just stripped of all the makeup and all the the trappings of you know particularly something like you know uh, legally blonde she was just a strikingly attractive woman right Reese Witherspoon you know and the less she tried I thought the more she radiated you know, something, uh, which I found very interesting. And again, a message related to threeness, right? That the 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 less you try, the better off you are, in a sense. Because it's there.
2: You don't need to manufacture it. Ex- exactly right.
0: There's a big theme in there, just to build on that, of how we see ourselves versus how others see us. So right at the start of the movie, she stays a night in a hotel in this small town in, in the Mojave Desert. And the woman at the counter thinks that she's a sex worker <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know she reiterates a couple of times that the price is this much but more if there's somebody who's going to be with you yes and then there's a reporter that she meets who's convinced that she's a hobo and no matter how many times she denies <laughs> that she is he just doesn't seem to hear her or care <laughs>
1: That was one of the most odd and interesting scenes in the movie. I thought, where the guy stops by, uh, you know, she's hitchhiking on the road, and the guy stops by and says he's a reporter with Hobo Times magazine or newspaper or something, which I don't know if that's a real thing or not. You know, and I, it's you know, you gotta wonder if that was real or he was just some nut or something. But then he he left her with the hobo care package, which was a bag of chips and a can of beer. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> just, Yeah, Uh, fascinating scene when that when that came through.
2: And then Uh, later on,
0: there's another scene where she she's at a stop, and the ranger agrees to you know right as he's closing up, give her her package, and then starts you know invites her over to his place for a drink. And again, you get kind of creepy vibes. And then three younger hikers come in, and they know her because she's been signing the uh, the book at the top of the trail, and they're fans of hers. So Mm -hmm. they kind of rescue her from potentially a creepy, or at least questionable situation anyway they get in a conversation and they nickname her the queen of the PCT which is a surprise to her because she thinks of herself as not a particularly proficient hiker you know she's met all these much more experienced capable hikers along her travels but then they say you know people are always doing you favors there's you have so many stories about when somebody did this for you and she has to admit that that's actually true so there's Mm -hmm. the sense of how others see us and how we see ourselves which you know image management is very three Yeah. yeah and then there's also a big theme, kind of building on what I was saying about um, about montages and Legally Blonde, getting better at something. So at the start, she is not very good. She can barely even stand up with her, you know, hugely loaded backpack. And, she, you know, as you mentioned, she brought the wrong f- fuel for her cook stove. And she doesn't get very far on her first day. And then, she, you know, she got the wrong size boots and she pays the price for that with lo- literally losing toenails. And she gets better. So that's also something that made me wonder if, would a three do something like this and be that ill-prepared? You know, when she meets the other hiker, Greg, you know, she, he says at one point, you know, you know, after all the practice hikes you've done and all the research you've done, it's still harder than you expect. And she like conspicuously doesn't say anything like, I didn't do any practice hikes. I've never done anything like this before. She had never backpacked in any way. But she definitely gets better. <laughs> she pushes herself beyond her perceived limits. And then she finds out partway through from another hike from another hiker that Greg quit the trail. That he was daunted by all the snow and just flew home and decided to do it again the next year, whereas she kept on and she made it as far as she wanted to go, which was also not her original plan. There's adaptability in her as well, in that so much of the Pacific Crest Trail is snowed in. She ends up taking a bus to Reno and then hitchhiking to Truckee and then rejoining the trail there, and then just adjusting where her endpoint is from the southern border of Ashland to the northern or of Oregon to the northern border. But it is very much the hero's journey. Like, she she starts, like, not quite ready, and she ends right. much more capable than she was, not yeah. having known if she could do it.
1: So so you make an interesting point there, TJ, in six versus three. A couple of things. Um, number one, capability is not always assured, right? So there are threes who, you know, are are incompetent at certain things and, you know, uh, but take them on as a challenge anyway. Now that's not an argument necessarily for her being a three, because I could see this character played by a different actress. Imagine Meg Ryan in that role, right? Boom, six. Okay. Right, right away. Six to me, that's a six. It could be kind of a, six-ish character played by a three that brings in you know a different element to it you know from my view this was the least clear-cut three role you know or three character in my view i mean I, i i think i have not read the book i wouldn't be surprised if in the book the character comes across as more of a six and i think played by a different actress this would have looked very much like a six character which again takes us back to one of our premises is that You know, these things aren't always clear cut. Uh, Often they're combinations of things that because of the collaborative nature of film.
0: And yet the author herself Mm -hmm. sent the manuscript to Reese Witherspoon and said, I want you to play me. So clearly (laughs) (laughs) she's not averse to the threeness that she has seen in Reese Witherspoon's body of work as well as in interviews.
1: Yes, for sure. For sure. So, all right, great. So, um, anything else on this movie before we wrap up?
2: I was left puzzled and disappointed with Gone Girl with Wild. It wasn't the happy ending necessarily. It wasn't like you could see her thriving or it was just grounded, present with not a lot of fireworks or anything. You know, and I liked that.
0: Yeah, I think it's the inverse of the ending of Gone Girl,
2: yeah.
0: which is it's the quiet personal victory as opposed mm. to the empty public victory. And it's also,
1: uh, we, we haven't talked about the director of this movie, and I'm not even sure who it was off the top of my head. David Fincher, who directed Gone Girl, is not a happy ending director. Right. I mean, um, I can't think of any of his movies, quite frankly, that have a, you know, an uplifting ending. In fact, most of them are pretty horrifying. Seven jumps to mind. Right. Um, And uh, even the social network has a pretty awful, you know, it's not a kind of tragic thing, but it's just a sad, depressing uh, sort of thing. So I think we're clearly seeing the influence of the director on, on the ending of that movie. And yeah, most most three movies do have kind of an uplifting ending. They're they're success stories most of the time. Gone Girl certainly was not. Gone Girl was an exploration of the emptiness of the human condition sometime. All right, folks. So um, uh, this was good. These were these were all good movies, all worth watching movies, I think. Uh, some of them hold up to repeated watching, in my view. Um, I know I would certainly watch Gone Girl again if it came on TV, and I'm always a big election fan. I've seen it a bunch of times. So uh, I encourage our listeners to, to watch any of these movies. Uh, final thoughts, guys, before we wrap up.
2: I really liked how... All four movies gave a very comprehensive and rich view of the three.
1: The complexity of threes.
2: The complexity of threes without the stereotypes. I mean, it included the stereotypes, but it included the good things, the bad things, the not so obvious or visible things in threes. So I really like that. TJ?
0: Yeah, two things. You mentioned three different TV series that Reese Witherspoon has both started and co-produced. There's The Morning Show on Apple TV. There's Big Little Lies on HBO. And there's Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. I've seen all three. I love all three. And there are many characters who are threes in all yeah. three. One in particular, uh, the actor Billy Crudup won an Emmy for playing the character of oh, Corey on The Morning Show. Yeah. And he is one of the best threes I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he plays yeah. a television and- executive. I've seen
1: five or six episodes of The Morning Show, and he is by far my favorite character on that show. I just yeah. think he's such a three and such a delightful, sleazy, but likable, charming way. Uh, yeah, good, good in, call out.
0: Yeah, him. incredibly charming, even though you're right. He is that kind of slick, Kendall superachiever super yeah. achiever kind of a three. I also read, and it did not take me long. Well, yeah, another thing to mention about Reese Witherspoon is supposedly she reads a book in one day and she can read a screenplay in an hour she's got that (laughs) proficiency of the three she learned how to read from her grandmother and it was years into her life maybe decades that she discovered that what she's been doing is speed reading because she just swallows books Mm -hmm. she wrote a book called whiskey in a teacup which that is a reference to the fiery spirit of southern women within their well put together poise and reading that book which did not take long has me thinking that she's a preserving three. Oh, okay. The book is full of recipes and home decor tips, as well as photographs of delicious Southern food and decor. And there's many, many references to tradition, to family tradition, to preserving the traditions of the South and of her direct lineage, as well as to comfort. She talks about, you know, her company makes clothes because, let me see if I can... She says, I launched my clothing company, Draper James, because no one else seemed to be making the sorts of affordable, simple, pretty dresses I like to wear day to day. Some pretty big preserving priorities as well as like later she talks about how much she loves a good bargain. She loves flea markets
1: great we'll have to check that out that's great uh, that'd be very interesting to see so maria jose thank you uh, i know you got to run we've um we've dragged you back here and used up a lot of your time so it was great to have you back on the podcast you know thank you for having- inviting me yeah it was a pleasure so we'll have to have you join us to uh, i know you want to skip the marvel uh, episodes that we're going to do Well, who
2: knows uh, my but, daughter is there trying to go. get me to watch them. I've watched two so far, so we'll see. Three actually.
1: All right, great. Which is a note to our listeners that that's going to be what's up next with uh, me, TJ, and TJ and Gracia. We're going to do a series on Marvel movies. Uh, looking forward to that, Maria Jose. I'll let you run. Take care of yourself. Okay. You too. All right. Bye bye, TJ. As always, thanks for joining along. This has been a final episode of this season for the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. So thank you to our listeners for joining us. We'll be back soon and start looking at some Marvel's movies for a bit. So long, everybody. You've been listening to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, which is produced and edited by Seth Creekmore and is part of the Awareness to Action Podcast Network. Don't forget to go online and support the podcast by taking a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. See you next time.